Okay, we are going to get started. Um, let's bow for a word of prayer and work through some material. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to consider more about how we can study your word and uh, glean from the work of others who have gone on before us and have spent so much time and effort and uh, in devotion unto you and seeking to understand your word as well. And we, Lord, we, we just praise you and thank you that there are so many great resources available to us that, that can help us better grasp the things that you seek to communicate to us in your word. And I pray that we would always be faithful students and uh, always be looking unto you and uh, that your spirit would guide us all along the way. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, could I get the remote? That would be handy. No? Alas. No remote. Uh, let's see, we got some handouts to do. Uh, work through some handouts back here. Three copies there. Maybe anybody up here's got some. So we are in the middle of this study, inductive Bible study. It's a step-by-step uh, -step guide to studying the Bible for yourself. Uh, for our guests here this morning, you're kind of jumping right in the middle of this. So it's kind of what we've been going through. And we're actually kind of towards the tail end of uh, this uh, interpretation phase, and uh, do we have remotes? No? Let me get this up here. Uh, and so we have our, our broad strokes process of how do we study the Bible. There's observation, interpretation, and application. And so we're seeking to kind of move through that process. And then within each of those broad strokes processes, there are steps, kind of mini steps in the midst of it. So we have uh, inductive Bible study, and we are in this phase, the interpretation phase. Okay, we've made observations. We've looked at the text. We've, we've examined details. We've looked at a bunch of different terms and things of things. Okay, we need to study these things out. We've gone into the interpretation phase where uh, we have considered the context. We've got done interpretive correlation where we're trying to pull together information from different places. Uh, we've sought to determine the meaning of words and phrases. In our observation stage, we looked at particular words and phrases that go, okay, you know, I think these phrases, these words merit deeper study to understand the meaning of the text. And so we've gone through and we've looked at the meaning of those words and phrases, correlated different themes of scripture together, and now we are in this step of consultation. And the uh, concept with consultation, as you have there on your sheet, is, is using research tools to enhance our study. There's, we have a wealth of resources that are available to us today here in the year 2023. There's, uh, we're, there are just so many resources. Not all of them are of equal quality and benefit to us, but there's just so many of them. It would be foolish to not take advantage of some of the incredible resources that are in front of us. And so today we're going to be talking about that. What does it look like to use different research tools to help us to aid us in our study of God's Word? So consultation, there are a few pitfalls to avoid. And if you look on your sheet there, we have what's on the PowerPoint is essentially what's going to be on your sheet with very little variance. Uh, but a couple of pitfalls to avoid. We want to avoid an isolationist mentality that says, you know, it's just me and my Bible and the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to listen to anybody else what anybody else has to say. I think that's, that's a mistake when it comes to Bible study. 
We do believe that believers can study the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can use uh, the Word of God to impact us and to teach us and to grow us. We believe that that is good and right. We all should be individually studying the Bible. But we want to avoid an isolationist mentality that says that I am going to ignore what anybody else has to say, which cuts off the opportunity that, you know, if I'm studying something and maybe I'm wrong about something I'm studying, maybe I'm coming to some wrong conclusions because there's gaps in my knowledge, and we'll talk about some of those gaps in a little bit. But if we're coming to erroneous conclusions because we just don't have all the pieces to the puzzle, it would be foolish for us to ignore outside voices that might be able to speak into that and to fill in those gaps. And so we want to avoid an isolationist mentality. We do believe that God has given teachers to the church. Some of those are in this room. Some of those are not. They're in different places around the world. Some of them are dead <laughs> because they wrote books a long time ago. But they are still a benefit to the church. And so we want to avoid an isolationist mentality that says, I'm never going to consider what anybody else has to say. I'm just going to be in my little, you know, my little tunnel and have tunnel vision on and look at nothing else. And we want to avoid that. But on the other end of the spectrum, we want to also avoid an overdependence that uses all these wealth of resources that we have as a crutch for lazy study, that we just open up a commentary and we just say, oh, this is what the commentary says, that just must be what it means, and I don't do any further study and examination on my own. Now, if we're doing that, we're just letting the, the commentary tell us what to think, and that's not a helpful place to be either. No, we don't want to view commentaries in that way. We don't want to have that crutch uh, with the commentaries that way. Commentaries don't exist to tell us what to think about a text. They should be aids to our study, and that's how we want to think about these things, a proper view of the resources. They are an aid to our study, not replacements for our own study. Right? We, we don't want to just look at them and just say, okay, you know, I don't even have to study this because I've got this commentary, and I'm just taking whatever it has to say in front of me. No, it's an aid. It's a benefit. It helps us, but it is not a replacement for our own study. You've got a comment. So would you say it would probably be safe to say then that our study should, it should begin and end with the text. Absolutely. But we can, you know, use, the out, use outside, you know, commentaries, what, what has the church historically said or what have, what have Christian teachers historically said to help, help us stay within orthodoxy. Yeah, so I, I believe the, the text itself, rightly understood, is what ultimately guards us against erroneous belief and error. Like, I think the text is sufficient for that. But because of our own limitations and because of gaps in our own knowledge, we can go into these different directions. And so, yeah, absolutely, we can use these other resources to help make sure that we're not missing something, to make sure that we're not going in different directions on things. So, yeah, using them throughout the process, we do begin and we end with the text itself. And then we use these resources to help supplement our knowledge. And that's really where we're at. Uh, we benefit from the spiritual insights of other wise and godly individuals. I'm not the first person to try to read and understand the book of Romans. Right? There have been other individuals who have spent years of study and have poured over this letter and have sought to understand it and, and understand what God is communicating through that letter and they've written about it and they've, they've reflected on it and they've, they've talked about how it applies and all these different things and we can benefit from the spiritual insight of other wise and godly individuals. It's similar to as, and, and I don't want to make it too close of a parallel, you know, we gather together as a local church and we hear the word of God taught, God has given teachers for the church for this purpose so that we can understand the word of God rightly 
but there are other teachers that are available to us. Now, I, we don't want to get them too close to, to say that, oh, we can replace our local church with these commentaries or with these other resources. We don't want to go that direction either because ultimately it is our local church where we have those relationships with individuals who know you and can speak personally into your life through the word of God that can't happen from a commentary as well because they just don't know you. But there is spiritual insights and there is wise and godly individuals who have studied the word of God and it would be foolish for us to cut ourselves off from that because ultimately they do help us uh, fill in the literary, historical, and theological gaps in our knowledge. Thank you. Now these are, these are categories that we have discussed all through our class as we've gone through as we're considering observation, interpretation, and application through the lenses of, lenses of literary, historical, and theological uh, arenas. And we have these gaps. So literary gaps, these again, these are because uh, the original manuscripts of the Bible were written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Well, we have a language gap to try to bring that into English to try to understand it. Sometimes we don't always understand what's on, what the words, what the, what the grammar is, so we need some helps with that. Historical gaps, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. Some of it was written a lot longer ago than that. There's a cultural gap. There's, there's customs. There's all kinds of gaps that, are, that exist. And then there are theological gaps where, uh, in our knowledge, just where we haven't perhaps studied all the theological themes that the Bible teaches on. Well, if we're understanding the theology that a particular passage is trying to teach to us, we need to try to fill in those gaps. And good resources can help us fill in those gaps. And so what the rest of our time is really going to be is really just kind of highlighting several resources that can help us fill in these gaps. And we begin with the uh, uncovering the historical gaps. There are resources that can help us that provide background information for us on people, on places, on geography, on culture. Things that the Bible touches on when, when you open up in the book of Ruth and it talks about Ruth being a Moabite. Is there significance to that? Who were the Moabites? How did they relate to Israel? Why, why, you know, what's going on? And Okay, the book of Ruth opens up. This is the period of the judges. Well, what's, what's going on during the period of the judges? There's historical information. There's all kinds of different information that we need to dive into to properly understand what's going on in any given biblical text. And so uh, through a variety of resources, we can begin to press in and try to bridge the historical gaps that might exist in our knowledge. We can use resources like study Bibles, the MacArthur Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, the Ryrie Study Bible. There are other study Bibles available that are excellent and high-quality study Bibles that can help us provide, you know, if you're opening up the way many study Bibles operate at the beginning of each book, there's a section there that talks about the author, the date, the circumstances of writing, maybe an outline of the book. That can help us kind of set the stage for filling in some of these gaps in our knowledge. There are Bible background commentaries, and I actually meant to bring one today, and I forgot to do so. Uh, most commentaries are doing like a verse-by-verse walk through the Bible. Well, there are Bible background commentaries that are really just commentaries on historical information to provide necessary background that would help aid our study. And so there's the IVP Bible background commentary. There's the believers, uh, there's the Bible knowledge uh, commentary. There's the Zondervan Bible background commentary that are really designed specifically to provide some of that historical information to help us understand the, the culture and the customs of the original Bible as it was originally written. There are also Bible handbooks or Bible surveys, and I did bring a couple of these with me today. Actually, the mo most of what I brought today is, fits in this category. 
because there are different levels of handbooks. This is one of my favorite Bible handbooks. It's very small. Uh, it's called the Holman Illustrated Pocket Bible Handbook. And it's, it's really nice. The pages are real nice. It's got color pictures and all that sort of stuff. But it provides, <laughs> ooh, yeah. <laughs> but it provides us some very basic background information on the book. It provides some information about the author. It provides all the, the date and the time of writing, the circumstances, all that sort of information. And I've used this so much in studying, and it's been a great benefit to me. So that's a, the only thing about this, I'm not sure if this is still in print. It's a sad thing, a lot, a lot of these resources, a lot of them kind of have, you know, you just, you never know what's on eBay, you know, it, it just shows up. So, yeah, I'll, I'll have all these available if, if people want to look at them. But yeah, go ahead and take a look at that. A classic Bible handbook is Haley's Bible handbook. If you're, I'm sorry? Oh yeah, it was, it was right about to come off, wasn't it? Haley's Bible handbook is what most people think of if they think of a Bible handbook. This is probably the most printed Bible handbook in the history of Bible handbooks. It's a classic work. Uh, some of the information might be a little bit dated as far as just not representing the most recent scholarship on some areas. But it is very good. It's very excellent, very handy resource. And it walks, it differs a little bit from the Holman handbook in that it really provides kind of overviews of the book from a chapter-by-chapter, section-by-section kind of outlook. It's still available on Amazon. Looks like it. Two dollars? Oh, two left. Yeah, well, there you go. So it's available. The Holman is still available on Amazon. If you want to get a little more in-depth, there are Bible surveys. This is a New Testament survey written by uh, Robert Gromacki. And this is kind of like the Haley's Bible Handbook, but just really kind of more expanded. It's going a little bit more in-depth on a whole host of issues and providing, again, another chapter-by-chapter. Chapter. It's almost, I almost think of this as like a combination of the Holman Handbook and the uh, Haley's Handbook in that it brings different information together. Uh, very good resource as well. And then if you want to go just so much deeper than all of that altogether, there's this tome of a book called The Promise and the Blessing by Michael Harbin. This guy is out of Dallas Theological Seminary. And this is almost like, this is like magazine level pages as far as like, kind of like glossy and color pictures and all that stuff. It's very, very nice. It's very well done. But a lot of very helpful information. Uh, it's called a, uh, The Promise and the Blessing, a Historical Survey of the Old and New Testaments. So this is really diving into the background and the history of what's going on in the Old Testament. What's going on in the surrounding it regions of ancient Mesopotamia and, and the ancient Near East and what's going on in the culture at large to help us understand a little bit of, of how we can understand the Bible in connection with the culture and the customs of that time. And so this was a very good resource as well uh, from trusted individuals that uh, would be great to pick up if you really want to do some more deeper in-depth study on this. All of these will be available uh, to look at afterwards. So there are different handbooks and surveys that we can look at to help us gain a better understanding of the history of things going on. Bible atlases. Now, I have what's called the, the, Macmillan, the, the Macmillan Bible Atlas. And for many, many years, the Macmillan Bible Atlas was considered the gold standard of Bible atlases. What's the purpose of a Bible atlas? Well, we have all these maps. And, so, and for some people, maps are just not interesting whatsoever at all. I don't even care about the math. I don't even care about the topology, all that sort of stuff. Well, if we're reading about what's going on, it's, it's, we're going through the book of Mark. 
we're reading about Jesus traveling from place to place. It can help us to kind of get a grasp of, of where Jesus is and what his travels are like and what he's doing. If we flip over and we, we find a map of, of ancient Israel during the lifetime of Jesus and we flip over there and we see, oh, here's a little bit of the pathway that Jesus traveled as he was walking along. A lot of our Bibles have some maps in the back. And if you flip to the back of your Bible, there are some maps that provide some helpful information and just kind of some basic layout of the land of Israel and things. Well, this takes that to another level and provides a little bit of commentary about things that are going on. This is an older edition of the Macmillan uh, Bible Atlas. There have been newer editions that have been published since then that are uh, a lot fancier, a lot higher, higher definition images and fat maps and things like that. But uh, this was the gold standard for many years. And there are a variety of Bible atlases that are available uh, that are all high quality, excellent resources that can help us kind of piece some information together about the way uh, the people were located and how they traveled and they did different things that can be helpful aids to our study. And finally, we also have Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias. Uh, you come across a word. Um, actually, I've got one here. This is, this is a pocket dictionary. It kind of is a companion to that Bible handbook there. But let's say we're, we're again, we're, we're looking in the book of Ruth, and we find that Ruth is a Moabite. Well, what does that mean? So I can flip into here, and I can find uh, the M's, and I can find uh, M-O. Oh, okay, here's Moab. Oh, Moabites. And there's a little bit of information about who the Moabites were, what their background is, and that just kind of gives us a real quick snapshot. Oh, okay, there's some really quick accessible information about a particular topic you're reading in the book of kings and you read about the different gods that the people were worshiping and they're worshiping molech well who's molech well i can flip in a bible dictionary and i can open up and i can read oh here's a, a molech is a pagan amorite god to whom human sacrifices were made oh wow it's no wonder that god was very very strong against speaking about worship of molech because it literally involved child sacrifice dropping children into a fiery uh, furnace type thing that was what was going on and so for God to say you shouldn't do this that's a really big deal and so Bible dictionaries can be a really helpful resource just a really quick looking up oh I don't recognize that name oh I want to know a little more about this people I want to know more about what that is I can just flip through there and find a really brief summary of that information Bible encyclopedias are a little more in depth than Bible dictionaries but they serve a similar purpose uh, where you can look up um, I have the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It's a five-volume set, and it has full-length articles on many of the topics that are touched on in a Bible dictionary. Uh, so that's another helpful way that we can get background information on the culture, on the peoples, on the geography, all those sorts of things. We can fill in those gaps using some of these resources as a help to us as we study the Word of God. Any questions about any of these things? There's a lot of there's, there's a lot of resources, a lot of things that are available to us. A number of these, I think, probably are available online as well. Um, to varying degrees. To very yeah, to varying degrees. So like all these books, uh, I mean, you could get a digital copy of the books, but as far as like a free resource, there are free resources. Um, they're not going to be in, at the depth of level that a lot of these will provide. So I mean, there's a, there's a website called gotquestions.org that has a lot of the information that might be in like the uh, the Bible handbook, 
but you have to search for each of them individually. And um, it's a helpful resource to be sure. I like having them all in one place with a book. So there's benefit that way. And you do have to be careful with online resources. The process of publishing a book, well, nowadays it's a lot easier than it used to be because you can just go on Amazon and just print a book. Uh, but you used to have to go through a publisher and you have to go all through all these things. And that process alone uh, was a little bit of a, I don't want to use the word gatekeep in a source, but it, it, it helped assure the scholarship was of a higher quality. The process of publishing books helped do that. Some of the information that's available online is good. Some of it you just have to be careful with. And so you just have to know your, your sources on that. So there is a lot of, there is a wealth of information that's available. Uh, and some of these books are pretty, you know, some of them are more expensive and more in-depth. Some of them are pretty inexpensive. Unlocking the literary and unveiling the theological. This is where our commentaries come into play. Our Bible commentaries can be a, such a benefit to us in these two areas. We need helps. And again, on your sheet, it says helps for identifying and evaluating grammar, syntax, and theologically significant terms and themes. How do we pull these things together? Our commentaries can be helpful for us in this arena. I got some tips for choosing commentaries. There's a whole host, okay? You know, we're preaching through the book of Mark right now. If you could look up online, all right, I need a commentary on the book of Mark. And you find there's 500 different commentaries that have been published on the book of Mark. How do I know which ones are good? How do I know which ones are helpful? There are different styles of commentaries. There are devotional flavor commentaries. There are expositional flavor commentaries, which in a sense are really almost like sermons put in book form. And then there are exegetical level uh, commentaries that are digging into the original language, the Greek and the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and making comments on the grammar and the syntax and going through all this. There's different levels of commentaries. And so I just want to provide for us just a few tips for us as we consider how we choose commentaries. You do need to know at what level you intend to study the book and what level uh, is going to be helpful for you. If you do not have a background with original languages, choosing a commentary that is in incredibly technical and speaks almost with the original languages exclusively, probably not going to be the most helpful commentary for you. There are other commentaries that are more going to be more helpful that are going to speak at the appropriate level of whatever depth of study you intend to go. And so that's something to, to bear in mind. Uh, there are some good commentaries that kind of bridge the gap, that kind of dive into some of the, the grammar and things, but then also speak at a very uh, understandable level, at, the, at a lay level. And so there's, there's a whole host, a different blend of, of depth of commentaries. So know what your goal is, how deep you really want to dive into things. But the first tip we have is to take it for a test drive. How do we do that? Well, if you know there's a particular book that you want to study and you know that there's a particular difficult topic within that book and you want to know, okay, is this commentary going to be helpful for wrestling through that difficult issue? Well, just look up that passage and see if it just kind of glosses over it or if it actually deals with it. There are a lot of commentaries, especially the devotional flavor commentaries that aren't going to dive into some of the difficult issues in the Bible. They're going to kind of gloss over them because that's not really the purpose of why that commentary was written. It's written on a devotional level. It wants to help you just kind of think things applicationally. So it's not designed to dive into the difficult things. Well, if you want to study the difficult things, flip open to a, a passage that you know has some difficult things in it and see how it deals with that. If it wrestles with that difficult thing, 
the odds are good that it's going to wrestle with other difficult things, and that could be a good resource for you as you go to study throughout the rest of, of that book. And so by taking it for a test drive, that can be one way that we can do that. We want to look under the hood. What do we mean by that? Well, who wrote the book? Who wrote that particular commentary? What's, what's their background? What's their theological bent that they're coming from? What's their theological biases that they're approaching their study with? Everyone has them. We all have them, whether we want to admit it or not. We all have our particular uh, starting places when it comes to what our theology is, what our uh, backgrounds are, what our uh, denominations are, whatever else. These, these commentaries are written from those different perspectives. Well, you want to know what you're getting into when you pick up a commentary. There's different theological persuasions, there's different denominational I beliefs and theological ideas out there, and different people are writing from those different perspectives. Just because they're writing from a different perspective doesn't necessarily mean the commentary is bad or that you should avoid it, but you do want to know what you're getting into when you open up a commentary. So be aware of that, look under the hood, read discerningly, and choose utility over style. So... The idea with this, you know, some people like online resources, some people like digital resources, so there's different Bible softwares. Logos Bible software, eSword was a thing back in the day, it's uh, Olive Tree, there's a lot of different apps and programs that are available. If that's going to be useful for you and you're actually going to use those resources, yeah, go for it. If you would rather have a physical print copy of the book, purchase the physical print copy of the book. Like what, use whatever is going to be most useful in the study and, and you, whatever is actually going to be used. Uh, if, it's, if it's just going to sit on the shelf and just look pretty, well, th what's the point of that, right? Like, no, we actually want to have something that's going to be used. So we want to choose utility over style. When it comes to specific commentary recommendations, um, I was tempted to list out for you a whole bunch of different kinds of recommendations on your sheet. I decided against that just because there's so many different varying degrees and directions that could go, and it all depends on what you want to do in your study. So all I can say is if you want specific recommendations, come talk to me and ask me about it, and I'll be more than happy to give you specific recommendations for a commentary to suit uh, your purpose and your depth of study um, because the list is virtually bottomless, right? There's different... There's different uh, series of commentaries, there's different individual commentaries, there's different persuasions and theological bents, and so I can provide you with all kinds of recommendations, uh, so you just got to let me know what you're looking for. So there's some tips for choosing commentaries. just want to give you a few tips for using the commentaries, and I just want to note and reemphasize this point. These tips that I'm about to give you, they are assuming that you are using the commentary like we described back in, at the beginning of our time uh, it's on your outline, point one, letter B. These are an aid to our study, not replacements for our study. We benefit from the insights of others, but they don't, they don't, they're not designed to just tell us what to think. As you are looking at these different commentaries, we can't turn our brains off and just whatever the commentary says, that's what I'm going to accept. Well, we still need to think, right? We still need to evaluate what's there. We never take the words of man as authoritative for us. It's helpful and it's good food for thought for us to, to consider, but we always want to be looking back to the Word of God itself and resting and, and knowing what the Word of God has to say and evaluating anything that's in any one of these commentaries based on the Word of God. That being said, here are some tips for using the commentaries. 
it can be helpful to diversify opinions, to have different commentaries coming from different theological persuasions to help us wrestle with the text. We're not using commentaries to tell us what to think, right? So if we have different opinions, different, different angles, we can kind of see the different arguments at play there. And then we're always defaulting to what the Word of God has to say as the final word uh, to, as we consider through the different opinions. So we, we look at the different commentaries to see what, what different ideas are out there. And then we engage the discussion between those opinions. We keep track. Okay, this com- oh, I, I see these commentators. They have a difference of opinion on this passage. Well, what are those opinions? What, what's the conclusions they're coming to? And how are they arriving at those conclusions? And does that match up with, with what I'm seeing in the Word of God itself? So we engage that discussion between the opinions. We, we want to keep asking questions. We never want to get to a point where we're just accepting what's there just because it's in a book and it's written there. We continue to ask questions. We continue to dive in. We continue to press in and say, okay, no, does, does this line up with what the Word of God has to say? Oh, oh, you know, the way he puts that makes me think of this other question that I have over here. And so we continue to ask questions. We continue to be inquisitive of the text. As we were doing our observation steps, this was something that we stressed over and over again, the importance of asking good questions. Well, that doesn't stop when we start looking at our commentaries, right? Our, we don't ask questions and then, oh yeah, now we find all of our answers in the commentary. No, no, we keep asking questions, right? And we continue to, to press in and look. And then we can use uh, this consultation as a springboard for further study. Sometimes in a commentary, some of the most helpful information is often within the footnotes. There's some really great stuff in footnotes. I always encourage people to read the footnotes. I, sometimes I wish they would have put the footnote in the main body of the text, but read those footnotes. There's some great information there. And then finally, we can use the scripture indices you know, at the back of, of every good commentary. And many books that are describing or talking about things of the Bible, there's a scripture index that tells you on what page any given text of the Bible that was used in the book, on what page it was used. So maybe I'm studying the book of you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all right? And I'm looking up, okay, where in this book does he talk about that? And I can find 2 Corinthians chapter 5, oh, page number. Uh, he talks about 517 on page 229. And so I can flip to page 229. It's a very helpful way to quickly get to conversation and discussion upon a particular text that I'm studying in a given book, and it can help save time, uh, because sometimes if you want to look in a particular book, I'm, I'm studying 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm looking in this book to see if it talks about it, oh, well, you know what, instead of flipping through the whole book looking for those references, I can flip to the index, oh, this book doesn't even talk about this passage. I can close that book up, put it back on the shelf, and go on to the next one. Uh, and so we can utilize the scripture indices in that way. That can be a helpful way to quickly find information about a particular text that we are studying. Those are some tips. And I want to remind us, and I've said this already several times, but it's so important that I'm going to continue saying it, but my button's not working. Uh, Reminders reiterated for us. Our resources, our study aids... Our resources are not authoritative. Only the word of God itself is authoritative. These are aids to us. They are not replacements for our study. Our resources do not remove your responsibility to study and think. 
God gave us brains for a reason, to, to wrestle with things, to wrestle with information. And as we, as we utilize different resources that we should use because God has given them to us as blessings for the church, that doesn't remove our responsibility to evaluate and think critically about the information that we are examining and studying. So that's what I've got for the first time in the history of ever. I have gone through information and I have finished early. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any questions that, uh, that you might have about different resources? And if anybody wants to look through these, they're available to look through. I'll leave them out for us. Yeah, Phil. How the Holy Spirit uses these resources. Well, so we believe, so the way I've, I've kind of come to formulate, how, how do we get from this Word of God changing our lives, right? The Spirit of God uses the people of God and the Word of God to transform us into the image of Christ, or the image of God, or to renew us into the image of God. So the Spirit of God uses the people of God and the Word of God to, to work transformation in our hearts and our lives. Whenever we're studying scripture and we're seeking to understand it, we're going through this, the Holy Spirit, God has given the Holy Spirit as uh, um, Jesus says in John chapter, uh, somewhere in 14 to 16, uh, the Spirit will guide you into all truth, right? And he's, the Holy Spirit guides us and it helps us think through things, helps us apply the word of God into our individual life contexts, when we are using other resources, just like when I am preaching a message on a Sunday morning, I hope the Lord is using the words that I am saying to take the Word of God and to apply it into each of our individual life contexts, my own included, right? I'm not just preaching and I'm not just speaking out to people over here. That's for my own heart as well. Well, it's a similar way that the Word of, that God uses and the Spirit of God uses other resources and commentaries other individuals who have studied the Word of God have benefited from the Word of God, and they're writing that down and seeking to make that available to other people. The Spirit of God can take the truth that is within those commentaries and use it to help us understand rightly the Word of God so that we can then apply it into our individual life contexts. So I would view it similarly to a preached sermon in that way. Let's say if my sermon ended up being written down in a book, it'd be a similar thing on that level. So that's that's how I would kind of seek to answer that question. Yeah. Could, so th I think these are really good at identifying you know what are what are some good quality resources or at least principles that we should look at for good quality resources. But I yeah. was wondering, could you talk a little bit about what are things that we should look to avoid, like things that we should look to avoid in yeah. bad resources because there are definitely like. Absolutely, really yeah. terrible resources out there. Yes. So there are commentaries that have been written by people from all over the whole spectrum of beliefs when it comes to what the Word of God is. Not even, not, not just what the Word of God says, but what the Word of God is. So there are some individuals who, uh, they've made it their career to study the Bible, but they study it on a very academic, intellectual, and what's called text critical level there's a what there's something called higher criticism where many of these individuals they do not believe the bible is the word of god 
Uh, they do not believe that it is divinely inspired. Uh, they do not believe there's any spiritual power in the Word of God. They're studying it almost from, from like a historical curiosity standpoint. And they're, they, they engage in what's called higher criticism where they don't believe because they reject ideas like the concept of the supernatural. They don't believe in miracles. Uh, they don't believe that, that this is the Word of God. They don't believe in a Holy Spirit. They don't believe in any of those things. So what they're left with, they're trying to understand, okay, well, how did we get this book? They think it's purely brought about through human and natural processes. So when there are prophecies that speak of things in the future, and then we see those prophecies unfold, a, a case in point with this would be like the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, there's information in the book of Daniel written hundreds of years before the events occur with people like Alexander the Great and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and all these individuals that are, we from our standpoint look back and we see the history of it and we see Daniel foretelling it and we see that it just lines up so perfectly. It's, a, it's amazing detail. Well, the higher critic would say, well, prophecy on principle is impossible because there's no supernatural, there's no Holy Spirit, and there's no... Uh, God directing these things, so Daniel must have been written after those events, and he's looking back on it, pretending like he's looking forward and writing a prophecy. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, is, it is an odd thing. It's, it's an odd thing. Uh, many of these individuals, they, you know, there are individuals that study history on that level. Like they go, they want to read and you know look at you know Caesar's Gallic Wars and Homer's Iliad and things like that, and that's fine. But when you start looking at the Word of God at that level, you're denying things that the Scriptures very clearly, plainly teach is true. You act, you have to change your understanding of certain aspects of scholarship. So there's a lot of legitimate historical scholarship that has been done to demonstrate no Daniel actually was written before those events like that's that's demonstrably true they have to ignore all of that so these those kinds of resources written by individuals who deny the truthfulness of the word of God those kinds of resources I would say we should probably avoid right like we don't we don't need to be spending our time saturating our minds with people who are denying the truthfulness of the word of God that's not going to be very helpful for us so there are several, those are called text critical or higher criticism commentaries that are probably, they tend to be more technical, but they're going to be less helpful for our spiritual benefit. So those sorts of things, um, I'd be very careful, you know, I, you know, we had a step in here about, you know, look under the hood, know what the theological background of these individuals, what they're teaching and things, because there are some that are approaching things from theological perspectives that we would say are not just wrong but like heresy level wrong where like they're like there's such significant errors that it's damaging to our spiritual walk and so we want to be very careful about those kinds of resources um you know you could look up if you know about a particular issue and you know about a particular passage uh, you could look up and see how they talk about that to determine the usefulness of that kind of commentary and then there are some commentaries that i would say are uh, some are on a devotional level, and that's good. And some are on such a shallow devotional level that they actually aren't dealing with what's in the text itself and are written to have a feel-good response to it. Like, it just, you know, I just won't make me feel all warm and fuzzy about what I'm reading here. And it's not actually getting into what the text is about. 
those I would say would probably not be as helpful or beneficial for us. We want to we have commentaries. Even a devotional level commentary should direct you to the text itself and try to unpack, hey, what does this text say and how do we begin to apply that? So those, those would be some more tips on good and bad commentaries uh, and how to avoid those things. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah. There might be a switch. Testing. Okay. Yeah. There now we go. You can, now you can definitely hear me. <laughs> so, question. Just to maybe, if, 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 if curiosity begs it, and yeah. you want to gather more information, you want to maybe study scripture in a comparative perspective, mm -hmm. Do you th would you recommend looking at, when it comes to the Old Testament in particular, definitely not the New, but maybe the Old Testament through a Jewish lens or a Jewish perspective, mm. being that those, at the time when those were written, they were written by Jews for Jews. Yeah. You know, even yes. if we have differences of how things play out and how things work now, being, you know, what they were intentionally written as, mm -hmm. would you recommend at least for the historical and literary gaps, looking to sources like that to help study in. Yeah, that's a very good question. And, and I would say, yes, but, okay? So that can be very helpful because there are some things that uh, individuals writing from a Jewish perspective will have a very unique insight into cultures and customs of the Jewish people that we might miss as Westerners. That can be very beneficial to look into. I say yes, but, however, there are many things that uh, they can get wrong. And case in point with that, Jesus, as a Jew, in the New Testament, is correcting Pharisees, other Jews, understandings of Old Testament passages. So you've got the Pharisees, and they're looking at Old Testament passages, and they're concluding different things, and Jesus is having to correct them on that point. So yes, it can be incredibly helpful for those historical resources. In fact, this particular atlas was put together by a couple of Jewish men who uh, were uh, professors at a university in Jerusalem. They're looking at it purely from a historical you know, uh, standpoint. They're, it's not a commentary on the text itself, but it's purely on the level of these were the customs, this was the geography, this was the kingdoms, this is what was going on. That can be very, very helpful because they're so close to the scholarship and things that are right there. So absolutely, that can be very, very careful. We just want to be careful about uh, how much we're uh, internalizing maybe some of the, the, the Jewish perspective in terms of conclusions of a text. It can be very, very helpful to, to know what those perspectives were. But again, Jesus was correcting some of those understandings within the New Testament, right there, and they were, you know, they were very steeped and knowledgeable in it as well. So, a, a guarded yes. Uh, it can, so, and there's an individual, his name is Arnold Fruchtenbaum. He is a Messianic Jew. So, he is a Jewish man. Uh, he believes in Jesus Christ. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah. But because he is a Jewish individual, because he was converted out of Judaism, he has a unique perspective and he has a lot of insight into the Jewish customs and he is read and studied the Midrash and the Talmud and the, all these different uh, rabbis and all these different writings, and he evaluates all that, and he, but he filters it through 
a biblical worldview and a biblical lens. And so uh, I, when I was preaching through the books of Judges and Ruth, I had on my shelf one of those commentaries was one of his commentaries, and he was able to provide different insights. But he would always make comments about, you know, Jewish tradition says this, the Talmud says this, the Midrash says this. But there's some problems with the understandings of that. It doesn't match up with this over here. You know, there's this issue with the New Testament. And so he evaluates it on that level. So that, that's, that's how I think I would answer that. That's a long answer to a <laughs> simple question. But yeah. Yeah. So yes, but. So we want to. We want to be, we want to be care- always discerning, right? Always, always thinking critically and carefully. So with that, I'm going to close this out. We're now uh, no longer early. Yeah, I've used up all that time and then a little extra, huh? All right, let, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for today. Thank you for the, so many of the awesome resources that you've given us. Um, Lord, I think of the passage where Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. Lord, we have such a responsibility. Uh, we have no excuse for uh, misunderstanding or no excuse for uh, just not studying your word when there are so many excellent resources available to us to aid us in our study. I pray that we would be faithful students of your word. I pray that we would seek to understand it rightly, that we would never uh, twist the scriptures, that we would never uh, get things wrong, that we would never uh, try to make the scripture say what we want it to say, but Lord, that we would always be in subjection to what the scriptures say and teach and always seeking to understand what it is that you've communicated to us. I thank you again for this time and I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.